0: Welcome to Season 1 of Reclaiming Jesus Now.
1: Ten conversations with Jim Wallace exploring the themes of his new book, Christ in Crisis.
0: We're your host. I'm William Matthews.
1: And I'm Alison Trowbridge. <laughs> this is the fourth of ten weekly episodes. Today we'll have a conversation about Chapter 4.
2: The truth question.
1: What is truth?
2: So this is the Pontius Pilate question, which... John eighteen thirty eight says, Pilate, the Roman emperor, Roman ruler, the uh, one occupying the Jewish people, famously asked Jesus, "Oh, what is truth?" And we, the tone of voice there is, "Oh, what is truth?" Yeah, there really isn't any truth. What are you talking about? So, the context: Pilate is in a debate with Jesus about what's true. They're going back and forth, back and forth. Pilate. Is losing the debate. So he ends the debate by questioning the very idea of truth. Then he washes his hands, famously. Remember that part? He washes his hands before he crucifies Christ. So what's going on here? Jesus says in John, John's the gospel full of all the truth talk. I love reading John Hanin texts on this say, truth is relational it expresses our relationship to God. If we are God's children, then we reflect God's truth. If we are the children of the devil, who Scripture calls the father of lies, then we reflect the father of lies. So we're dealing here now with how truth is connected to freedom. Jesus connects truth to our freedom. So if we aren't connected to the truth, don't know the truth, we won't be free. We'll be captive, we'll be in bondage. And if we are not speaking the truth, if we are drawn to the lies, we're drawn away from God. So Scripture calls Beelzebub the father of lies. And the two characteristics of Beelzebub are two things, slander and lies. Slander and lies. Have we heard or seen any strategies, political strategies that are based on slander and lies? So this is really about um, uh, Jesus saying to the powers that be, saying, you know, there is truth, and the truth is connected to our freedom. Hmm. I mean, Jim, whatever do you so mean?
0: (laughs) I mean, I don't know what you could ever be talking about. In this chapter, you said, Our deepest concerns as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, is not just the accuracy of the news or whether the facts are being told uh, correspond with reality, he said, our understanding and our obedience to the truth are bound up in our spiritual identity and welfare, our personal relationship to God and Jesus Christ, who is identified as the way, the truth, and the life, as the son of God, the son of God's truth. So you're saying it's 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 way bigger than the culture wars. It's way bigger than the tit for tat, the back and forth. You're saying reality must be dictated and guided by truth not by accusation and slander and manipulation and lies
2: it's way bigger to use that language i like it it's way bigger than how many lies a president tells most presidents either spin the truth or even lie that's not new Uh, Now there's talk about counting the lies and now it's legions of lies. I think the last count was 10,000, but I'm saying it's bigger than that. It's not just the legions of lies, which I'm told are more than 10,000 now. It's about normalizing lying, normalizing lying. Now we expect to hear lies every day that are perpetual that are, it's said, pathological, it's said, are political, which means our children are hearing the normalizing of lies in the public space, not being caught on a lie, which is often the history, but a regular, regular, perpetual, pathological uh, diet of lies. So our kids are hearing that. But even deeper than that, this is saying, let's really get at this truth thing. Is there really the truth? So, you ask, where am I hearing this? Kellyanne Conway, the president's senior communications advisor, told Meet the Press in 2017 that the White House has alternative facts. Rudy Giuliani, the president's lawyer, told Meet the Press in 2018, truth is isn't truth. Pontius Pilate, in his failed debate with Jesus, says, what is truth? This is really very similar. So it isn't just all the lies, normalizing of lying, it's questioning whether there even is truth to be found. And autocrats, strongmen, they want to say that because they want you only to be able to listen to their truth. When there's no truth to be found, just listen to me, and I will tell you the truth. All strong men do this. It's a way of governing that does what? Holds people captive. Puts them in yeah. bondage, because they've taken away the truth.
1: You have a great line in the book where you say, truth holds power accountable. And so it would make sense when someone is trying to to grab power if they can attack truth and say there is no truth but what I say, that's the ultimate power move. And, and I would love your thoughts on, on what this means for a free press in a society where an administration is calling that free press the enemy of the people.
2: Well, you just said it. It's contrasting. It's contrasting the truth of power. Power claims the truth versus truth-telling to power, truth-telling to power. And so the press is supposed to hold politics accountable to the truth. So if that's the case, if that's the vocation of the press, and I think there are actually some amazing young journalists out there now every day who are doing, they are faithful to that vocation of holding politics accountable to the truth. They're doing that. So why are they the target? Why are they accused of fake news? Why are they called the worst kinds of human beings? Why are they called, as you say, the enemy of the people? Why is it always at rallies? You see those people there? They're bad people. They're horrible people. They're here with their cameras. They're lying. When you put a target on their backs— Strong men attack, want to discredit, and finally kill journalists. This president is friends with people who have had journalists murdered. And strong men support each other in the discrediting, marginalizing, and killing, literally killing of journalists. That's what we're facing because what's at stake here is the truth itself. And journalists... We've seen them die for their vocation. What are the prophets always described as? Truth-tellers, speaking the truth to power. And when you take away the truth, you are purposely trying to take away people's freedom. I have megachurch pastors tell me, I only have my people two hours a week, and Fox News has them 24-7. How can I compete with that? So this issue of the truth is not just about journalism. It's about, as you said, you said it's relational. Our relationship to God is at stake in our telling the truth.
0: Yeah, because it feels like our culture has a hard time discerning truth. There's almost this I think the Bible uses that language, itching ears. It's like, so there are the people who are the propagandists, right? Who are trying to, you know, tell you what to believe or how to think. But there's something in the way that we hear that it's like something that's titillating. Like we kind of- We want it. We perk up. We click on it. We share it. Yeah. Yeah. like And and to me, that's how this environment was created was because, you know, I was told I'm hearing that Obama wasn't born in this country. Mm. I'm hearing- these things and there was something it's like there's something in the salacious rumor we are we are so in tune to salacious rumor as truth that when truth actually shows up we we're lost (laughs) when we Mm. demonize it and we how dare you tell us that Mm. and it it almost feels biblical (laughs) like it feels like the children of israel and the prophets like it's that same thing and and so i almost think there's there's something in our culture right now and i don't know if it came out of like maybe the the celebrity kind of gossip culture that we've created yeah. um in the way we tell our stories and and the fantasy kind of culture but it definitely seems like we cannot discern true journalism true fact finding information versus what i'm hearing
1: and and it would make sense that within that context as a culture we would elect a reality tv star as president
2: yeah Well, Timothy seems to agree with both of you. Uh, In his second epistle, (laughs) he warns about people who, quote, have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. Wow. Mm. That's pretty on its nose right there. Itching ears to hear things we'd like to hear. Yeah. Yeah. So what do we have itching ears to hear? Timothy is really pressing that question. Yeah, because
0: rumors kind of travel like wildfire. They almost take on a life of their own. And there's something about, it's about that, that feels, may, maybe Rene Girard with mimetic theory kind of hits on this a little bit in terms of we desire what others desire. And so there's something in the desiring of that to be true that we grab a hold onto. It creates its own life. That accusation runs wild. And it's like, it just travels and it has a life. And then that we almost discern that as the spirit of God. Right. Like, I've been in church environments where I'm like, oh my God, the amount of like flattery and just outright like lies that happens. And it's like people will just believe all sorts of things about other people just because somebody said it. Yeah. Without and, any like trying to figure out what is actually true. Like people go, Oh, it's true because you know, so and so said it.
1: On top of that, you have a digital culture where we have all become publishers and we're all able to
0: That's a great point. Create
1: and share content. In a rapid way, which is on one hand a beautiful thing, and on the other hand, can be a completely destructive thing because then we lose this sense of what is credibility, what is credible, what is researched, what is, you know, what does it take for something to be printed in the New York Times versus posted on a Facebook page? And we've kind of lost the ability to discern that credibility piece. And so it's almost as if we see it written somewhere, and therefore it must be. I've been, Fact.
0: I've been guilty of it. Like we I've done it. I've I have retweeted a stranger who said something that I thought was true even if I hadn't necessarily checked to see if that thing was actually true or you know and I try I honestly have had to make a conscious effort to go if I retweet someone. And that but yeah. that's realizing at the end of the day now I am a publisher because I have an account yes. and I can pass on articles and people yeah. will listen to it just because I tweeted it or said it that that's taking a type of responsibility that I I'm trying to be a good steward of. But if I'm not remotely in touch with that, it can be easy just to go, well, so and so that I like said that, so therefore it must be true. Or these statistics that maybe aren't backed up by any fact, you know, I can just perpetuate them even if they're false.
2: Um, so let's go back to what you said, Allison, a few moments ago about is there anything in what we should learn about a TV reality star becoming the president? Okay, There's a television reality culture that's been out there for a long time. That's how this president became known to the American people through one of those television shows. That culture uh, has got nothing to do with the truth, but rather what sells, what tintillates, what excites, which, what kind of um, uh, evokes our passions and responses— So Dietrich Bonhoeffer taught us that, quote, politics can never be divorced from the truth. Stanley Harwas, an American theologian, uh, speaks of Bonhoeffer and says that Bonhoeffer believed cynicism is the vice that fuels the habits to sustain a politics that disdains the truth. We see a politics that is disdaining the truth. And creating another reality, yeah. As TV reality wants to do, create a fictional reality that that sells, yeah. So now and
1: looks like truth. It, yeah. it, it, it 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 at a glance it looks truth-ish. In this chapter, you quote C.S. Lewis. Incent you for, you first talk about how the angels of darkness must disguise themselves as angels of light, and you quote C.S. Lewis saying that if the devil were to succeed in England, he would need to wear a three-piece suit and speak with the Queen's English and surely never appear as a red demon with horns and a pitchfork. And you say it is the same today. Talk about that for a minute.
2: I'm the president. Those who disagree with us hate the country. They don't love America. They hate America. I heard this last week about four brown and black women Congress members. They don't agree with me, therefore, they hate the country. Uh, Leadership is defined by money, sex, and power. In our culture, those are the three gods, money, sex, and power. Now, that's why there are these, these disciplines and all the religious orders that had a response poverty, chastity, obedience, or simplicity, uh, uh, restraint, and discipleship, as mm-hmm. opposed to letting money, sex, and power rule, which are not bad things if they're done in the proper human context. But when you have a president who has, who these are the ultimate values and the ultimate purposes of his own life. The ultimate goals he's always had, somehow they become the test of what's true. That wealth and power and self gratification are indeed the goals we should strive for. So that's not just lying, that's undermining the truths of God. It's normalizing those values. And then it's always targeted, targeted at their enemies. So they target the press, or they target black athletes who take a knee in clear, direct response to police brutality, not in response or reaction or attacking the country or the flag or veterans. That had nothing to do with ever taking the knee. He says it's about hating your country. That's a lie. It never was. Taking the knee was, in my view, a prophetic, truth-telling statement with athletes using their forum, their, their platforms, their influence to speak to an issue that affects people of color every single day of their lives. Including wealthy ones. All of them, including black athletes who have been Uh, put over the hoods of their own cars and searched because they're nice cars and that driver in a nice car must be a drug dealer in the minds of of this lie i think in this conversation it can get very
0: easy to point the finger and to because if you're remotely conscious or aware or listening to the holy spirit you can easily say okay this is wrong this is this is not the spirit of Christ, this is antichrist. This behavior, this rhetoric, this dehumanization. Yeah, Walter Brueggemann. I love his definition of truth. He says truth is a cluster of relationship between dignity, security, well-being, and respect. There are things that easily violate all those things, like truth being that cluster of relationship. And so when we see the cluster of accusation, blame, dehumanizing, right? That's that is obviously antichrist. How do we then, though? as we speak truth to power and tell the truth, do it in such a way where we do not become the arbiter and the judge of everything and everyone. And, and I know in the book you you begin to talk about uh, the scripture and, and the words of Jesus. In particular, you kind of point out this reality where the sin we see in others are often connected to the sin we see within ourselves. And often we rage against that and we hate against that. So maybe can you talk to us about What does Jesus have to say about not setting ourselves up as the ones that see and are aware, not setting ourselves up to fall into
2: often the same types of traps? Well, wanting to go deeper, which you're doing here, is really important that we don't use the truth ourselves self-righteously. So Jesus says, don't judge others with a log in your own eye. So here's the text in Matthew. Why do you see the speck in your neighbor's eye but do not notice the log in your own eye? Or how can you say to your neighbor, let me take the speck out of your eye while the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your neighbor's eye. So Corinthians says, we see through a glass darkly. So the first thing we approach the truth with is humility, not righteousness. We try to speak what we understand is God's truth, what Jesus says, what we believe deeply. So you have truth-telling by John Lewis on the Edmund Pettus Bridge fighting for voting rights and being almost killed that day for it, telling the truth to Jim Clark, Sheriff Jim Clark, and his troops who ran them over, or Dr. King speaking the truth uh, as he understands it. But looking at our own eye, Is critical, says Jesus, for judging others. So, this truth question doesn't get to be just a finger we point at our political adversaries. This is something that has to hold us accountable to integrity in what we say. What are we saying? Then, what are we doing? What are we doing ourselves to live out the truth in our own lives?
1: Why do you think the current American church has been so accepting? of a president that lies so frequently and unabashedly.
2: Because some have entered into a transactional relationship with this president, a Faustian bargain. You give me what I want, give me the political issues I'm demanding, and I'll look past everything else. Things I should never look past. So I think it's a political bargain. I don't see it as something in relationship to God, and I would say in relationship to our political leaders. I've had relationships with political leaders on both sides of the aisle. And for both parties, it is they want to hear from you what they'd like to hear. That's the way politics works, and they give you access, and they think that'll be all you want and all you need. Access to power is what political leaders think they're giving you, and that should be enough.
1: Even you, you as a specifically as a religious leader.
2: Yeah. They want all of us uh, to think we have access, and they... They have a hard time with telling the truth as you see it. You know the Bible talks about principalities and powers. I think you feel the principalities palpably in the White House. You can feel that place wanting to make you stutter as a truth-teller. It's a place that wants you to say what they want to hear. I remember when Obama first became the president and I went to see him for the first time when he was in the White House. And I couldn't, I couldn't get in because I was on all the secret service lists, all the security (laughs) lists. And so the, the, the building at the gate had to call the Oval Office and say, we can't let him in because he's on the, the, uh, secret service list because I had been arrested outside the White House so often on the sidewalk that I wasn't all of their lists. And they finally had to send someone down and I've said since, it's kind of spiritually safer to be protesting on the outside than to have a conversation on the inside. But movements have to do both. It's the outside inside dance. Dr. King did it very, very well. He knew he had to have his base outside. But he had to negotiate or navigate with the powers on the inside. But being faithful to the truth is, in fact, always the question. So in the places of power, political power wants the truth to fit its own purposes.
1: So, Jim, I I would also just ask for your average lay person who is sitting in the swirl of media and not at times not even able to discern today what is true, what is lies, what are falsehoods, what articles are real, what's fake. You know, when when truth has kind of become something that feels so shaky, uh, where, where are we to go?
2: First of all, uh, we have a complete polarization in this country when it comes to news. People only listen to the sources that they feel already agree with them. So we're listening to very different uh, cable news shows and radio shows and spokespeople. If I'm a white Christian, I better be listening to what people of color are saying, what black news sources are saying, what African-American uh, columnists and writers and producers and podcasters and political leaders are saying, if I'm not listening to them, I'm not going to hear what I need to hear. So listen to different people. Listen to different people's stories. Listen to people, especially whom Jesus says we should most pay attention to, the least of these, the marginalized, those who are on the outside. Make sure— You have some way to hear what those people are thinking and feeling in response to what's happening and saying.
0: And if you want to listen to black people and how they actually think, go to go to Twitter. (laughs) Mm. Because black people use Twitter at an inordinate amount, like level and amount. I would say Twitter was one of the first platforms that I saw black people, particularly black millennials, uh, get a real voice in anything. And like it was one of the first platforms that was used to articulate that frustration. And obviously, Ferguson, as an uprising, was really carried on and made known by Twitter. And so... Um, a lot of us are having conversations specifically on Twitter and building digital communities where we're talking about, we're sharing articles and we're talking about things and how they affect us in very vulnerable ways. We're talking about race as a trauma and PTSD. And I know the Me Too movement and, uh, was very similar in that way with the hashtag and the Church Too movement. Uh, in, so there are people out there that are expressing, like Jim saying, opinions and thoughts that maybe are out of the normal echo chamber. but. That's how I began to learn was honestly by listening to women's
2: stories through Twitter. So Black Lives Matter uh, was not sort of welcomed to the media world <laughs> by, by the mainstream media. Uh, it was a new platform that got created. And I happen to know the woman who was the, you might say, communications director for the Ferguson movement. And she was a black woman who had never had any mainstream media experience, but she was really good at exactly what William is saying, putting words out, putting stories out, reframing what happened and why it happened. One time she was going to the drugstore just to pick up on some personal things that she needed, was followed in by 12 police officers. She was singled out because... She was such an effective communications director, and they circled her around, and she said, what are you doing? Oh, we're just shopping. Oh, my gosh. She was deliberately targeted and intimidated because she was doing what William just said. She was creating another platform, another voice, another place for people to listen and to learn, that wasn't controlled by the mainstream media. So Black Lives Matter has created this whole new movement around police brutality. But more than that, it's created this sort of place and platform and voice for voices that hadn't been lifted up or heard before. They were there. They just weren't being listened to. So some of the most effective young activists are those who are creating new platforms. So how do we not just get stuck in the old platforms? How do we listen to and create new platforms. But I, I'm not I'm not reading from this book much in our conversation, but this last paragraph in the truth chapter I want to read. It says, For the sake of the nation's soul, we must now see clear consequences to lying. We need to acknowledge how the normalization of lying is creating a society for ourselves and for our children in which truth no longer exists matters and we must correct course that is if we truly want to reclaim jesus
1: Mm. and as you said at the beginning truth holds power
2: accountable and truth will set us and keep us free
1: the music you're listening to is provided by this podcast's very own william matthews
0: reclaiming jesus now is brought to you by sojourners Faith in Action for Social Justice.
1: Podcast produced by Paul Woodhull from the District Productive Podcast Network and Chris LaTondres.
0: To learn more about Jim's new book, visit us online at book.sojo.net.
1: That's book.sojo.net.
0: And if you like what you heard today, please help us spark more conversations about the future of faith by telling a friend or leaving a quick review.
1: That makes all the difference. Thanks for listening.
2: God bless you.